Blog Talk Radio. Here we go. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Rod. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. There he is. Wow, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, we're back on. And Mike is back with us this week. Huh? All right. Oh, yeah. Wow, well, thank you. Well, yeah, what am I getting an echo? Uh, Are you? Yeah, a little bit there on that one I was. Yeah, Mike was was gone, like I told you all last week. He went to Southern California, San Diego, for the weekend, and he is back with us, and he was just telling me about his flights and stuff. And uh, yeah, I've been to San Diego. It was, I was surprised that it was going to be that cool. It was uh, uh, landed, landed in the afternoon. It was uh, 77, and that evening it went down to 66, and I wished wow. from Florida, wished I had a coat. Because sixty six here is coat weather, but yes, uh, it was it was nice. And then and when it rains, there was a song we talked about. It was uh, it never rains in San, San Diego or <laughs> it rained. I mean, it was like it was going to blow the hotel apart. And, wow. Um, yeah, the the I think it was Friday Friday evening. Yeah, it was pouring, and I've yeah. like. Or they have a hurricane, and I never got that memo or something, but it was terrible. Uh, but, um, yeah, really, really neat to, to area, and uh, I'd go back. There were so many places there that I wanted to see, and I, I just missed. And and I'm kind of, you know, kind of bummed by that because there, you know, so many, so many, uh, so many things out there. It's it's a it's a great oh. uh, great town. Yeah, a great area. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I like San Diego. I've been there, you know, three or four times, and I've always enjoyed the town when I was there. Um, yeah, that's surprising. It was that that cold and sun, and they do need the rain. So you know that that's a good thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Coming in, you could tell there was. Uh, I don't know if it was just you know regular skies for them, but there was some kind of a like a brownish glow most of the, the late afternoon and evening and uh, i don't know maybe that was just because uh, i'd never seen it that way before but uh, mm-hmm. i thought I, I was thinking was is that smoke from you know what they're what they've been the fires and everything but i don't know um i, don't know. I couldn't tell but but um wow. it was uh yeah it was just different but uh it's good to be there i've never been there before and uh i'll have to go back sometime and you know, make it a vacation type of a trip. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's an enjoyable uh, <laughs> enjoyable area there. Uh, if I'm going to go to California, though, I think I would prefer 
Northern California. I really like that area, San Francisco and all that. Speaking of Southern California, we have a guest tonight, I believe is from Southern California. Uh, Michael Jorgen, is it Jorgen or Jorgen? Um, I was watching some videos and I saw his name pronounced a couple ways. But, you know, without further delay, let's bring him (laughs) on to the show. Hello, Michael. Welcome to All About Wine. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, for sure. Uh, Last name, pronounced how? Jurgens, like the lotion. Jurgens, okay. Yeah. Well, I was watching some some things that you've been on, and and I saw it pronounced Jurgens, you know, like it was Swedish or something. I don't know. So, you know, Jurgens is a lot easier. Um, So... A lot of stuff to talk about. I didn't say too much about you, and so I want you to start out simply by telling us where you're from and and uh, uh, how you got into wine and anything else that you would like to say before we start getting into your Bhutan uh, adventure. Sure. So I uh, was born and raised in Southern California, you know, beach, beach kid. And, uh, you know, about in my 20s, got introduced to wine and realized how cool it was and started going in deeper and deeper and deeper. And then next thing you know, you're, you know, I'm accumulating a bunch of industry certifications and writing a bunch of books about wine and, uh, um, you know, d- doing wine as my you know, primary occupation. Uh, and, and building building a wine industry in, in the Himalayas. So, uh-huh. so it's crazy well, crazy how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, I you know that's the, the thing. I, uh, I I have to point out something though. I I've been looking at interviews that you've done, and I've been reading some things that they've written about you and all that. And for some reason. Every interview and every everything that's written about you always talks about uh, he is a young winemaker with a beard and tattoos. And I don't know why that was always brought up, uh, especially the tattoos. I mean, tattoos is so accepted now, but they always seem to want to, to mention that. Uh, does your tattoos have any significance, or is it just something you've done over the years and I, I'm curious about that. <laughs> you know, it is it is uh, astonishing to me how people always want to talk about the tattoos. I think um, I spent uh, a significant amount of time and money getting some really um, artistic, creative tattoos done by one of the you know the top um, guys in the world. And so I think it's no. it's not so much that I have them; it's that 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 they're you just look at them and they're you haven't seen anything like them typically. And so oh. I think that's why people kind of lose their shit about my, my tattoos. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not just, just, I'm going, you know, he's, you've got so much more going for you besides just tattoos. Everybody's got tattoos now. I mean, you know, you, uh, I don't, but I mean, you're, you're seeing tattoos on <laughs> just about everybody. I'm you know, you go to high schools, you almost know, seen tattoos on some of the kids there. So uh, it's not a big deal anymore, but it just seemed like everybody wanted to bring up your tattoos. So I just wanted to, find out if it was it's no it's they're they're pretty striking i mean this is the kind i have the kind of tattoos that like i'll literally be walking through the costco and like someone will grab my arm and go oh my god 
can I look at you? Or can, can, can I take a picture with you? you know, oh, my gosh. Sure, I guess. Yeah, oh. why not? You go, no, witness protection, and just walk away. <laughs> 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 you know, oh, that that's that strikes me as odd. I you know because tattoos aren't aren't unique anymore. Well, the tattoos themselves can be, but I mean tattoos in general aren't unique anymore. So you know, just all, yeah, it, there it used to be I think, quite quite the stigma, right? But quite the stigma yeah, well, yeah. against around tattoos, you know, back in the day, and now they're pretty mainstream. And so yeah, you think of of all the the interesting things that I you know, do and can talk about. You know, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, that, yeah. and here I am talking about them too, but, you know, it just it just seemed odd that you, you have so much that we can talk about, and yet, you know, in the interviews I was seeing, the books I was reading, and articles, and everybody always mentioned the tattoos. So, oh, well, uh, at least that clarifies it. It's because they are unique, and that's why. Uh, you have, and we've, and we've perpetuated the talk about tattoos uh, on on podcasts. And yet again, uh, look at that. There we, it yet is. Yeah. Again, we talked about tattoos. Your tattoos, jeez. Uh, so I guess that's just you know, you're you're going to have to start putting that as uh, as part of your name. You just Michael the man, the wine man with tattoos, and maybe that will set you apart a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> as if there's nothing else to set you apart. You have to be the wine man with tattoos. You do a newsletter. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so I think uh, for for years, my friends ha- who've been kind of mildly curious about wine, but not enough to actually spend any time learning about it, were really after me to, to give them recommendations, you know, like what's, what, what wine should I drink? What wine should I buy? And I'm like, you know, I don't buy what you like, drink what you like, you know, spend as much money as you feel comfortable spending, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was on a plane and I was reading this book. This is right before the pandemic started. I was on this plane and I was reading this book by a relatively celebrated wine author. And the author was ripping on Chenin Blanc. <laughs> and I was, I was, I was incensed. As a matter of fact, I'm drinking a Chenin Blanc right now when I, while I'm talking to you. Uh, South African <laughs> Reserve Chenin. It's spectacular. Chenin's awesome. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm, I'm on this plane, and I'm getting pissed. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're a wine expert? How, how could you say that Chenin? You might say that you don't <laughs> like it. Yeah. It might not be – the style may not be your preference, but you can't say it's a bad grape. Like, like it's a great grape. So I get I home, so. and, I, and I write this – yeah, so I, I got home and I wrote an email to like 10 of my friends saying, you know what, if you want to try something new, go try some Chenin Blanc and get it from Vouvray <laughs> or Savignier. They make it in a couple different styles and screw this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? I, sent this, really? I sent this email out and they all responded. They're like, this is amazing. Give us another one. And so I gave them another one and, and, uh, and then they forwarded it to their friends and their friends started emailing me. And next thing you know, I got like, hundreds and thousands of people like you know me for wine recommendations. <laughs> Wait, so Wait, he was made impressed for your next recommendation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, honestly, yeah, they would be like, hey, when's the next one coming out? And so um so I and then the pandemic started and we had nothing but time and so like every week I sent out this wine recommendation. Like here, you know, Assyrtico, you've never heard of this great before, but here's why it's cool and you should go try some. And mm-hmm. 
um, it, it became literally like all over the globe. People were getting their hands on this thing. And, and wow. so uh, I, yeah, it was kind of crazy how it, I never intended it to do, to, to be the success it, it, it's turned into. It was just me telling my friends, go drink some because it's pretty cool. Um, but I think that's one of the things that's made it successful is the fact that I, I don't overwhelm people with a bunch of obscure information and I make it kind of accessible and I make it fun and like, hey, and also, you know, it's not intimidating. Try this. You might like it. You might hate it. And either answer is fine. You know, figure out what you like and what you don't like. That's um, really so anyways, what it's I, all about. I, yeah. That's what it's all about. That's mm-hmm. so why I, I packaged up the first 52 issues. Um, and I turned it into a book with ah. the idea that someone could take it and like do a wine a week for a year. And at the end of the year, be, you know, pretty damn knowledgeable about, about wine. And then the book turned into a bestseller. And like, it's just a oh. crazy thing. Oh my. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> your newsletter, you still doing your weekly newsletter? I'm still doing my weekly newsletter. Yep. As a matter of fact, I sent one out today on Sherry. Oh. Yeah, uh, and people are. Did you see where they're revamping uh, Sherry? They just they just revamped the Chianti and different classifications, and they're talking about doing it to Sherry now. I did see that, and they they also changed the the aging requirements from like yep. three years in Solera to two. So that mm-hmm. that actually went into effect, right? You know, I kind of I'm not yeah. sure what I think about that. Like, I on the one hand, it's kind of cool that we're evolving and we're we're trying new things. But there's a piece of me that's kind of like the way the way that you did it before was pretty awesome. You know, people just didn't understand it, so they didn't buy it. Right. And so rather than changing, you know, uh, the, what worries me when we start changing stuff is everyone plants Chardonnay and then oaks it. And then you end up with, you know, the, the, the oak Chardonnay out of sherry. And I just thought the world doesn't need that. We need yeah. like more, you know, aged Amontillado. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is with sherry, I, well, I, I like Sherry. I, I'm, I'm a Sherry fan. But when they start cutting back on the aging, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that affect the taste? And isn't that going to affect a, a, a lot of stuff about it? And But I don't know. I guess maybe they think they know best. But they haven't been doing it for so long. No. Well, I just I think what it is is it's, it's they it hasn't. It just hasn't grown. If anything, it's a shrinking category, and you got to do something. Yeah, uh, I maybe would have pumped more money into some marketing and gotten people to try it and understand what it is and appreciate it. But instead, we're, you know, we're changing up. I'm doing my part though. I'm sending out, you know, today I sent out my my weekly newsletter that was like, hey everybody, Jerry's awesome. You should go try some. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, that's that's a good recommendation for anybody who listens to the show. Drink sherry; it's it's good stuff. And uh, you know, there's all sorts and, of sherries from around the world, and super cheap for the quality. Like you know, for thirty bucks, you could get just a thirty-year-old sherry. Like, where else are you going to get that kind of value? That, that's very true. You know, and you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to appreciate it. Either. 
it's just it's a very simple, easy wine or wine product, great product to appreciate. And uh, you can get the sweet ones, and people tend to gravitate towards sweet. And you can get the sweet ones and and, and enjoy it, and it can pair up with you know different things that you're having. So it's it's something that I think is overlooked a lot when people start talking about wine. A sherry and port are a couple of the two great products that I think are ignored too much. So, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I no, I'd, I'd throw. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I would throw Madeira into that discussion as well. That's oh, another yeah. one that's just spectacular that people don't even pay attention to at all. Yeah, and it's just all great products, and you know. People are, are always, you know, well, what's a what's a good wine to have? Well, you know, try these. These are something that you can probably just really go crazy on. And, and ports, too. I'm, I'm a big port fan. And it's it just so many of those are, are just so interesting and so complex that, uh, uh, and you can enjoy them. You know, so I think- go on. No, I, I think the, what we've done in America is we've, we've turned wine into this big, intimidating thing. And so mm-hmm. people are afraid to, to experiment. They're afraid to try something. You know, I'll, I'll stick with my Rombauer Chardonnay because that's what I know and that's what I like and no one's going to judge me. Whereas buying some random Cercial Madeira or, you know, 20-year Tawny Port or something obscure, they may or may not like it. And that, that you know, that they're intimidated. They're worried about it. Yeah, yeah. it scares them. Yeah, and what they should be doing is like, like food. Like, hey, uh, this is weird, and I haven't had this before. Hell yeah, let's give it a go and see what happens. But for yeah. some reason, for wine, it doesn't work like that in the U.S. And, and, and you know, you're absolutely right. It's just like so many people get get locked in on something. I, I've said before, you know, they go to the store and they look at all these different stuff on there, and then they go back to the, to their default wine, the one that they always get, the one that they always pick out. And, well, I've had this before. I've had it many times. I know what it's going to taste like. I'll stay with that. And they become intimidated, scared, apprehensive, whatever word you want to use, to jump in and try something else, be it other wines or sherries or ports or anything. And it's really it's really sad because there's so many great, great possibilities out there on the shelves. So. Well, and I think that huh. everybody that's really into wine eventually finds their own palate, whatever that is, right? It can mm-hmm. be sweet wines or fortified or whites or reds. And, and, and by the way, that palate changes, you know, as they, as they continue to evolve. And it's, to your point, yeah, it makes me sad that the people that just buy that one wine for the rest of their life, they never get to experience that. They never get to go through that and, and find the stuff that really speaks to them and, and, and evolve. And that sucks for them. It does. It really, it really does. You know, so it's, it's really too bad. Uh, best-selling book. That's, you know, congratulations. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, you are on your way to become a master of wine. Tell me about that journey. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of confusion between what a master of wine is and a master of sommelier. Um, yeah. And probably oh, yeah. because a lot of people watch the Psalm movies. And, and, uh, and so maybe I'll start by, by just talking about at a high level, there's two 
wine certifications that are the highest levels in the wine industry. One is Master Sommelier, which is very focused on um, service in the hospitality industry and pairing wine with food. The other one is Master of Wine, which is a broader focus spectrum on grape growing and winemaking and the business of wine and whatever. There's about 400 of each in the world, 400 Master Psalms, 400 Masters of Wine. Uh, but the, the journey to uh, get both of those those certifications is quite different. So the Master of Wine, um, you you apply to the the institute, and if they accept you as a uh, as a candidate, then you go and you have two years to pass the first stage, which is a, a exam that tests you on your knowledge of the wine world and also blind tasting some wine. If you pass that, you move on to stage two. Um, where they test you in more depth on the world of wine and blind tasting. Um, and so I have been, I got accepted to the Institute about six years ago and I passed stage one my first time. And then when I made it to stage two, I passed the, the theory part, which is kind of all the, the issues in the world of wine. Uh, and I failed the tasting. Um, and uh, then I took it again the following year, and I failed the tasting again. And I took it again oh, the following year, and I failed the tasting again. And I, I just took it again, uh, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, maybe. Um, and we'll see. I, I think you know the, the the blind tasting is a three day long uh, spectacle, and and you've got to um, you've got to achieve a minimum score every single day. And then you wow. have to achieve a, an average score of, uh, you know, a certain level to pass. I actually think I passed day one, and I think I passed day two this year, but I think I failed day three. So I think do, I'm going to have they, to go back and do it one more time. Do it again. Do they uh, change it? I mean, every time you've taken it, is it different, or is it basically the same? Yeah, every time you take it, it's different. So it's So day one is 12 white wines. And then they ask you questions about them, and you've got to write an essay about each each wine that the answers wow. to the questions that they have. And day two is reds, and then day three is um, kind of everything else. So sparkling, sweet, fortified, um, orange wines, whatever, rosés, whatever else they want to throw in there. Um, and, and, yeah, the wines and the questions are different every year. So Wow. Uh, and you time out. So, uh, you know, I've got, if I fail this year, I've got one more swing at it next year. And if I fail again, then you're, you're out. Um, Four tries, you wait that's it. A couple, uh, you get, well, it's, it's more complicated than that. They, they sort of do like, you can defer a year, but you have to pass at least one part within the first three years. But then, oh, wow. like, you get another four years to pass the second part. Like, there's, it's, it's it's more complicated than you just get five tries, um, uh-huh. but essentially I, I've got I've got one more bite at the apple. And if you if you get you know if if you don't make it, you can sit out for two years and then you can reapply and start at the beginning. And I actually know a couple people who have done that and have been successful with it and have become huh. you know masters of wine after failing out the first time. So you know I'm. I'm 51 years old, so I don't know if I've got the mental fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> don't give up. What the hell? You can, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah. so, they can, they can say will, the I will, oldest 
uh, a master of mine with tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grandma Moses of, of, of masters of yeah. yeah, with tattoos. Don't forget the with tattoos. With the tattoos. Well, I will say, though, you know, um, for for me, like going through the Masters of Wine process, like it opened doors I never would have dreamed I would even get to go through. I mean, the the wine industry in the Kingdom of Bhutan um, is is literally an outshoot of me being in the Masters of Wine program. So for oh. me, whether or not I get the initials behind my name or if I don't get the initials behind my name, the experience and the process has been life changing. Um, and the best, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. So like, I'm not, I don't have enough ego wrapped up into, I have to have the initials. I would prefer to, um, that would be great. But the experience and the outcomes have been far beyond my wildest imaginations. Wow. That's quite a testimony there for the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I have I've already won at, at, at the wine life just by participating in it. Um, right. And if I get the initials, cool. If I don't, you know, hey. Wow, right. That's a great great attitude about it, too. I mean, some people, you know, obsess over getting those initials. And, you know, if you, if you can get the stick or leave it attitude, then it's probably more relaxing as you're taking it. So. Well, I think a lot of the people that are in the program um, are, you know, have jobs in the wine industry, and that certification means greater opportunities, greater salaries, greater everything else for them. Mm-hmm. When I went into it, I literally was doing it for passion. And so uh-huh. it, 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 I, I had a different set of objectives going into it than I think a lot of my peers that went into it. And that, you know, you could argue it, they can go relaxed um, on the flip side. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not taking it seriously or maybe I'm not working as hard <laughs> as everybody else. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm working pretty damn hard at it, but, but yeah, well, you know, yeah. who knows? but, but it's a different, it's, yeah, it's a different path. Yeah, a couple of questions yeah. though. Do they give the test in the same place every year or do they rotate around the country? Or I'm sure it's not like a test that is always given. I mean, there's so few, Masters of Wine, it seems like it would be a, a very limited – I mean, they can't give in Southern California every year because people, in, say, in New York or New England and all that would – Yeah, so they do it They do it in th- – they do it once a year, and they do it in three global locations. So they do it in typically Northern California, London, and Australia, and uh-huh. that's the way it's been this year. This year, well, you know, you know, Asia, is, as, as you're aware, is exploding as a wine industry. And so, you know, there's more right. and more people that are pursuing stuff down there. But this year, just because of COVID and travel restrictions, they, they actually did it, I think, in seven or eight locations around the world. Wow. So it was pretty, it was like a, yeah, it's like a big deal this year. Like you could do it in Toronto uh, or, uh, you know, Belgium yeah. or wherever else it was. So, wow. Uh, but I think next year it'll go back to probably just the big three, you know, London, Australia, Northern California. And between them, is is there any studying that you can do to help you pass or just go on living in the world of wine? Well, so they the, – the curriculum – I guess it's kind of like – it's kind of like the old guilds, right? So imagine if you were like, the, you know, in the Mason's Guild, 
you know, back right. in the day and you wanted to become a master Mason, you know, you had to go prove to the guild that you were good at doing masonry. Now that could right. be mosaics or it could be building cathedrals, right? Like, you know, the different styles, but you just had to kind of prove to the, to the guild. So that's kind of the way it works now. You got to prove to the Institute that you're worthy of it. But what they do do is they, they explain to you in depth wh- how they're going to test you. And they do oh. like an annual seminar and they do like some, some course days that you can attend. Um, so they, they sort of lay it out like, this is what you're going to be tested on. We're going to do some mock stuff with you to show you what it is. And then you go out and you do what you need to do to fill in the gaps in, in your resume. You know, oh, so like wow. if you come into it and you're a winemaker, you, you probably don't know as much about the business of wine. If you come into it and you're a wine lawyer, you know, you probably need to learn about viticulture. You know? Right. Um, me coming into it as like the passionate guy, um, I had to learn everything. So <laughs> it was more, more exciting maybe for me. An epiphany moment all the time. <laughs> all, all the time, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, it's, uh, we've talked to some people who are going through some of these, you know, in the past shows, but, uh, uh, I, you know, it's it's tough. Everybody who I've talked to about, especially master sommeliers and stuff like that, they, they just talk about how hard the tests are. It's definitely not something you can just say, okay, I think I'll take these tests and and expect to pass it. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so someone was quoting me. So the, the master of wine exam has like an 8% pass rate. Wow. And then somebody else, I was telling somebody this, recently and they said you know the navy seals have like a 60 percent pass rate <laughs> i don't know if that's accurate or not <laughs> I started thinking, okay, so it's, it's seven times harder to become a master of wine than it is to become a navy seal <laughs> to become a navy seal oh my god <laughs> and yeah. master wine you don't get to so, kill people either i mean <laughs> Yeah, you don't, you don't get to do anything fun. All you do is sit around drinking wine. Drink wine. I don't know if any of those, of those percentages are 100% accurate, so don't quote me on it. But it's, anecdotally, it's a pretty interesting statistic. Yeah, really. You know, you start looking at it that way. That's a, geez. I suppose you can, you know, substitute Green Beret or, or any of those in for the second percentage, Aaron. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's interesting. Well, since you are doing that and since you said that it's open doors for you, you have started the wine industry in Bhutan. I mean, basically, from what I've read, it just it never existed. And you were, uh, what, you're a marathon runner? Is, is that one of your things? Yep. That's okay. one of my things, yeah. Okay, so you were running a marathon in Bhutan, and you realized that it was a beautiful country, and you realized there was lots of hills, and you realized there was absolutely no grapevines there. That's pretty much spot on. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I went. We were running marathons in dumb places around the world, like Antarctica, um, wow. and uh, had the opportunity to to do this in the Himalayas, and and I, I did. I had no idea what to expect. You know, like I'm a I'm a beach kid from Southern California, you know, like <laughs> in my mind, the Himalayas are like Mount Everest, right? Big old mountains so we, with snow on it. Yeah. That, yeah. 
the big old yeah glaciers and you know you need like yeah. crampons to hike up to, to walk to the, the car or whatever. You gotta have all sorts of guides and yeah, surpas and you know you need like like oxygen tanks to walk around. Yeah, so that's really. in my head. That's what I think it is, right? Yeah. And so we get there, and what I see instead is this just like agricultural paradise, like literally like Garden of Eden, just terraces of just these beautiful crops. And every single thing I ate was the best example of that ever. Like I remember eating a carrot and going to my tongue, my girlfriend, like, holy shit, this carrot is like the best carrot I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so like, and everybody's going, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, uh, why are you, you know, do you guys not have food where you're from? Yeah. So, so in my, in my head, I'm like, all I have to do is figure out where the vineyards are and I'm going to go taste some of the best wine I've ever had in my life. Ever. Yeah. Like that's in my head. That's what I was thinking. Like you go to any country where they're growing stuff and you find the vineyards and you try the wine. And so yeah, I exactly. asking everybody, I'm like, yo. Where's the where's the vineyards? Where's the vineyards? And everyone's like, we don't know what you're talking about. Like literally, I'm at the the taxi stand going to the taxi driver. Excuse me, sir, can you take us to the vineyard? Take me to the vineyard. Like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know what that is. And so, so I I finally end up at this dinner with these government folks, and I go, Hey, I'm not leaving this country till I get to see the vineyards. And they go, We don't have vineyards. And I go, Why? I get mad, and I go, Well, what? how could you not have vineyards? This is the, you know, garden of Eden. Like, what are you guys thinking? And I'd like start lighting these dudes up. And they're like, are you, are you high on crack? Like, what, what are you talking about? And I like, you must do this. You have to do this. I was just adamant. Like if you guys don't make wine, you are failing at life. And, um, and they listened. <laughs> they wow. Wow. A wine industry, yeah. and they, you know, it, it took a while, um, but but eventually, and I, I had no intention of being the guy to help them either. Like I just thought they should do it because it was cool, and so right. I worked with them for a couple years to so like, hey, you guys should do this, and finally they're like, all right, we're all in as a country, we're all in, we're doing this. Will you partner with us and do it with us? And I was like, oh wow, uh-huh. that's amazing. And I had to think about it, to be honest, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty daunting to, to think about inventing something new in your backyard, let alone something halfway around the world in an area that's not super accessible. But right. if you, if you think about like cool wine adventures, like, I don't know that there's a cooler wine adventure than trying to invent an entire country of wine in the Himalayas, in the garden. Yeah. You know, I, 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 that's amazing. I, I don't know what this is going to look like a hundred years from now, but you know, hopefully people are like, ah, you know, we're, we're drinking this amazing wine because of, well, it's, it's kind of like the Vuv Clicquot, right? You know, people revere the widow Clicquot for, for all of the things that she did for putting champagne on the map. And, and now right. people love champagne around the world. And everybody kind of points to her. And, and this is not like an ego play, like I want my name on every bottle of wine for the rest of eternity. This is like, this is a chance to do something seriously meaningful for wine. And 
not a lot of people get the opportunity to do that. No. Um, and and if you if you truly can can move move advance the needle for for wine in the world in a in a sort of globally relevant way, that is just something that, in my opinion, is worth doing. Like, what else are we going to spend our time on? You know, we could I don't know be rich or make an algorithm or have the most goddamn Instagram likes or something that's yeah stupid. I know but. Yeah, but and it's really cool too. I mean, you know, you you put all these superlatives out there, but you forgot the word cool. It's just really cool to do that. It's super freaking cool to do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for sure. I, I love. I like. I have like. I got some T-shirts printed up that said like Bhutan wine and stuff like that. And I wear them out, and people will like stop me and go like, Bhutan wine? Like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, ah, yeah. Wait and see. Wait and see, buddy. Then, You'll see. First question is, is you know, it's like, where's Bhutan? <laughs> you know, you know, isn't it full of mountains? Well, it, so what's, I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. I actually, when I booked our trip to Bhutan, I didn't know where it was. I thought it was an <laughs> island in Indonesia. And the only reason I even booked the trip there was because my girlfriend would not shut the hell up about Bhutan. Like the entire time we've been together, she's like, someday I want to go to Bhutan. Someday, someday, Bhutan, Bhutan. And then, yeah. And then this, I got this opportunity, like this email that said, we're running, we're putting together a group to visit Bhutan to run an international marathon. The first one, would you like to be considered? And I said, Oh, this is that place that my girlfriend's always talking. This is that beach place in, in Indonesia. Like, let's go. That sounds fun. And so yeah. I booked the trip. I I said it was I don't know. It was not an inexpensive trip. And I I went to my girlfriend. I'm like, guess what, baby? I'm taking you to Bhutan, your bucket list destination. And she goes, Wait, we're going to the Himalayas? And I'm like, Wait, no, no, no. What no. are you talking about? Bhutan. We're going to the Himalayas. We're going to Bhutan. It's that island. And he goes, no, it's not. It's in, it's in the Himalayas. So I didn't even know where it was. So, yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, the whole, the whole adventure start to finish has been just one uh, weird thing that happened after another. And uh, I think the only common link between all of them is at every juncture, I was like, sure, let's go for that. Sure, let's go yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, we'll and, do that. Yeah, let's oh, go. Uh, and, okay, and now. Here we are. Bhutan wine industry. Okay, what grapes? You, uh, you have some planted, right, at this time? Yeah, we have eight vineyards. Um, six of the vineyards are in their fourth season, and two of the vineyards are in their second season. And so you're getting grapes already. Them. Oh yeah, we're getting grapes already. Last year and this year there was obviously pandemic pressures and Bhutan being a small country, you know, was really really restrictive about about uh, people coming into the country. So we'll make our first wine next next summer. Uh-huh. Um, and actually I'm doing so check this out because this is a, like a really cool idea. Um, imagine if you had the first bottle of wine ever commercially produced in the United States. I mean, that bottle wow. would be in the Smithsonian Institution. Right? Oh, so if would, you had the yeah. first bottle of wine ever produced in France, you know, that bottle of wine would be in the Louvre. 
I'm about to produce the first bottle of wine ever in a country. Um, and so our plan is like, we want to make like, and take the very first barrel um, and, and actually, you know, bottle it up in a real special bottling and hand number them and have a really, you know, nice, nice box design and, and, and offer those to kind of, obviously the country itself will probably get, you know, the, the, the first 10 or 12, um, but right. then, you know, give them, give them away to museums or to collectors or kind of share them with the world and, and to, to have, you know, part of the first barrel ever produced in a country is really, really cool. Right. Yeah. And you don't get that anymore. So you, know. you yeah, <laughs> so it's getting harder and harder. We'll yeah. Out of countries to produce the first bottle of wine. Don't make wine yet. Um, so, yes. Yeah. I mean, for, uh, most places that can make wine have for a long, long time. Right. So yeah, that'll happen next summer. God willing, wow. you know, you know, hopefully there's no massive thunderstorms or, you know, other crazy right. things, but yeah, that's Avalanches. the plan. What, uh, what what grapes do you are, are growing now? What are, well, so so this is this is the million dollar question because we have so Bhutan runs from about 500 feet in altitude on the south side of the country to about 27,000 feet in altitude on the north side of the country, and wow. that happens in the span of about 300 miles, 200, 300, two or 300 miles. So, so it's the literally whole country's it's like uphill. It's all uphill, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you have we have kind of every climate zone on demand. We have like little jungle, like monkeys, elephants, tigers, bananas, jungle at the bottom, and we have you know glacier, Himalayan glacier at the north end. So I have wow. all these different climate zones. So for us, it's kind of a question of figuring out. And our vineyards are planted between like three thousand feet and nine thousand feet right now. And so for us, it's really trying to figure out like which varietals are going to grow at which levels the best. Um, mm-hmm. So right now I'm planting a bunch of stuff to see what's going to work the best and see what's going to take the best shape. But to that end, we've planted five whites and eight different reds. And the whites are Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Riesling, Chenin, Tietman Sang. Mm-hmm. And the reds are, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story about Pete Manspring. Um And then on the reds, we have um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, Pinot, Syrah, Tempranillo, and Sangiovese. So all international mm-hmm. varietals. It would have been super cool to do like some indigenous stuff, but they don't have indigenous grapes there, right? <laughs> so like, we might as well plant stuff that we think, you know, people might at least recognize. I mean, I could plant Ayur Yitiko and Jafark, you know. Yeah, yeah there's all sorts of great, obscure but... ones that you can, you know. Yeah. yeah, but since we're starting from scratch, you know, I'd rather try to figure out how to make a Bhutanese Cabernet that was different and, and interesting, but still appeal to Cabernet lovers. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, this is a really cool – um, intellectual exercise, right? But at the, end of, at the end of the day, I'm a capitalist with a business to run, and I got to sell this wine. So right. I also want to make it accessible to, to people, and having some really uber weird stuff from an uber weird place is, is not necessarily the best decision. It won't sell. Unless, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it, it, it'll be harder to sell. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So do you have that's what do you have doing. wineries? 
yet? Do you have anybody that has actually set up a winery for you yet? Or have you? No. So, so we have, um, I, we, I had, we have the land. We acquired the land for the winery. We designed the winery. We have the blueprints for the winery. I have all the environmental approvals for the winery. Um, we have everything ready to go with the winery. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and kind of lost the borders. So we're, we're, I'm waiting. So Bhutan went from like complete lockdown to, you know, no one can enter or leave to a 21 day quarantine to a 14 day quarantine. Just the 14 day quarantine was just like within the last three or four weeks. Um, once they kind of moved to like a seven day quarantine, we'll start to see some of the, um, some of the workers start to reenter the country oh. um, right now. There's just not, there's not enough workers to start construction of the winery. So I'm, I'm all ready to go. Like I'm literally ready to rock with, with breaking ground on the winery, but um, we haven't been able to because of the pandemic, but pandemic, yeah. I have a, I have a contingency plan. If I can't get the winery up and up and fully built by next summer, we have a contingency spot, which is not perfect, but it'll work. Um, and then we'll hopefully by then, by the following year, for sure, the, the winery will be up and running. So, No, very good. The, uh, the, uh, the country of Bhutan, uh, how has the pandemic affected them? Have they had a lot of uh, deaths or has it been rather light? What, just for my general information, I'm curious. So Bhutan has actually been written up um, as kind of one of the shining spots. Um, in, in the entire pandemic. There's actually oh. been a number of, of national or even global news stories about how well Bhutan has weathered the pandemic. They've had, I don't know, maybe 30 deaths. That's in it? Total. Wow. And they, yeah, but one of the, the ways that they've been able to do that is they were pretty, um, they were pretty quick to move and, and completely locked the borders down pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that they did was they, they vaccinated the entire country in two weeks. Oh, wow. So that, yeah, not, not a lot of people like debating the vaccination issue. in Vietnam. Like they said, we're going to do this. And they, they did the first round, 95% of the country in two weeks. Yeah, there's some cool stories on it. If you, if you Google like Bhutan COVID, um, you'll, yeah. see, you'll see some interesting stuff pop up. So they've been relative, you know, in the, in the spectrum of countries that have had serious problems, they've, they've been on the kind of the far good end of that spectrum, but they well, achieved nice. that by locking stuff down. Yeah. Awesome yeah. for them. You know, the downside is, is my winery construction gets pushed out and I'm happy to, I'll take that, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, you know, versus, Massive problems, but my wife exactly. a little early. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's uh, I. I have to say, we uh, last was it last year before last. We received an email from somebody, and I don't know why or how or something, but they mentioned in the email that all about wine was one of the one of the most listened to food and drink shows in Bhutan and Mongolia and that area there. Uh, I don't know why or if it was uh, revamped, but I actually got, it showed a list of the different countries that 
listened to All About Wine, and Bhutan was one of them. A high percentage of the listening overseas was from there. And I, That is awesome. I, I was amazed. I really was. I was uh, amazed when I saw that list. But uh, So when you started talking well, about Bhutan and not case, having any wineries, I'm going, wow, you know. Well, if that's, you know, if, if a lot of Bhutanese are listening to this, let me give a shout out to my boy Karma and my boy Rinche and my boy Shearing and you know, <laughs> my, my boy Tashi. Uh, like, yeah, what's up, guys? All, all, uh, but, all of you guys, but you know, yeah. But, you know, Bhutan has this, this really great um, rice wine culture. Um, it, it really is super ingrained in their society. And so every household um, makes this traditional rice wine, and they call it ara, um, and they make it in their kitchens. And every family has a different recipe, and, and some make a more fruity style or a cloudy style or a, you know, a filtered style. And everyone would tell you, like, their aura is the best aura. You know? oh, of and course. That yeah. other guy down the street is garbage. And you know, <laughs> the is the best. Yeah. And, and that uh, was the original. When you come to someone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, ours, ours yeah. is, yeah, our, we've been doing it for thousands of years better than that guy. Yeah. And when you show up at someone's house, it's, it's, you know, it's considered, you know, part of the culture that you would greet them and you would give them a bowl of aura. Um, and so they, they have this. It, it truly like the rice wine is a big, big part of how they they interact with each other, and it's hmm. it's a big part of their culture. They just never had vinifera; it was never there, so they made it with what they had. So it doesn't actually surprise me that they're that they're listening to your show because I think there's a, a whole lot of interest and curiosity about, hey, you know, we we have this awesome rice wine culture. We're about to be able to to take it to the next level and add vinifera into that mix. And yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you really surprised me too, that I've done, you know, different shows and talk about wine around the world, different things in Korea and places over in, in that area, Japan, a lot of these places make wine from flowers. There's a lot of wine from flowers and, not having any wine at all except for the rice wine there is really surprising. Well, I don't want to say that that's the only wine that they have there. So they do, they do import some bulk wine from mm. places like India and South Africa. This is a more recent thing, probably in the last 10 years or so, oh, where they wow. import some bulk wine and they, and they bottle it um, locally. Um, the one of the one of the brands that they have is a brand called Takin and T A K I N and the Takin is like the national animal of Bhutan and it looks kind of like a cross between a a goat and a yak. <laughs> it's kind of like this, <laughs> this little interesting looking thing. It's about the size of a big dog and it's got horns and hair and stuff. Um, and the, the, they basically you know have this this wine that they just throw, you know, what, whatever into it. And it, it retails for about a dollar a bottle. <laughs> so you can sort of understand, you know, the, the, the type of the stuff quality. that's going into it. So, yeah. So they do, they do have some wine there. And then they have this other wine that are called Zumzin, which is um, they, it's the same kind of thing. They import white wine in bulk and then they dump peach extract into it and so it's like it's not fermented from peach but it tastes like peach 
Very peachy. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little peachy. So they mm-hmm. do have some wine there, and and uh, but it's it's not theirs. It's not a, an not expression of their terroir. It's, yeah. it's not indigenous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the the whole country has been just incredibly behind this project, and the level of interest is um, just amazing. And I think you know it, it speaks to the concept of wine is, is ingrained in their culture. And now they've got the opportunity to sort of up that game with Vinifera and everybody wants to know what's going on with it. I mean, to your point, it's cool. Yeah. And I, I'm sure, you know, when they, somebody comes in and start doing something brand new, it catches the attention of everyone. I mean, just, you know, Tesla, coming out with uh, his car. Everyone pays attention regardless, you know, and so, you know, on any scale like that, it's something that people uh, like to hear about and watch and follow. And, you know, a new winery in my country, that would be something that would really, uh, you know, create a, a, a national pride, it would seem. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. It, it, and there's, so part of it is the idea of, being able to share brand baton with the global world and in a, in a product that is people could get excited about, but there's another more practical aspect to this, which is, you know, let's assume that you're a subsistence farmer in Bhutan, you know, you've got your family farm, you got four acres and it's, you know, terraced rice paddies. Well, mm-hmm. of your four acres, you know, there's only two acres that are planted of terraces, but in between, you know, you've got slopes. And you, right. you can't really grow rice on the slopes, but you know what you could grow? Grapes. Grapes. And yeah. so you're, you're, you're now looking at these, these farmers and saying, hey, we can take that land that right now is, is not useful to you to grow rice or to plant, you know, mandarin orange trees, but grapevines love rocky slopes. You know, mm-hmm. let's fill in the areas around your terraces with grapevines. You'll increase biodiversity. And at the same time, you know, have a high-value crop that's coming out of that, too. So I think there is the pride aspect, but then there's the practical aspect that people are going like, hey, man, like, I want to do this, too, on my farm and, and you know, mm-hmm. double my income, which is great. Like, I, I think it would be really neat to see that model come to light over the next couple of decades, kind of like in Champagne, right? You know, you have all these, right. you know, 10,000 farms, you know, family farms and everyone's growing a couple acres of, of grapes and they turn them over to the Champagne houses and everybody wins, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but are you looking at becoming, Oh, uh, organic, um, bio, uh, uh, sustainable, any of that? Uh, as you're setting this up, or are you just going to be making wine? So Bhutan is the only carbon negative country in the world. Wow. And Bhutan is, yeah, uh-huh. And Bhutan is on track to be the first country to be 100% organic for all agricultural verticals. Wow. So they are... Um, like people from all around the world go to Bhutan to study, to study sustainable agriculture and how you get that 
harmonious balance with the environment. Um, so we are kind of starting with that as our, as our canvas to paint on. Um, within that, there are, um, you know, I'm not a total Rudy Steiner biodynamic, let's go chant in the vineyards. And, but, you know, <laughs> I had the monks out blessing my vineyards and I had, you, you know, to. the monks, it's Bhutan. you know, it's Bhutan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what worries me is there are, there's a couple of things that worry me. So one is there's monsoon pressure in the summer. That's mm. going to create mildew pressure. And mm. it's just hard to treat mildew with organic treatment. Mm. And so we're, <laughs> we're getting, yeah, I mean, you know, fungicides oh, tend to work yeah. if they're not organic. So we're, we're experimenting with some interesting um, approaches. So, like, I don't know if you've seen, like, in Japan with the koshu grapes where they put the little hats over the, over the clusters. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah. So yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're thinking about um, our viticulturalist, who's a professor at Cornell, is, has designed some, like, cool umbrellas, basically, for the trellises. <laughs> so we're, we're playing around with that. So that so so that's an interesting concern, and then it's a Buddhist country, so you can't kill anything. So like, if you find like a beetle is devastating your crops, you can't kill it, right? Oh, Be- because it's it it goes against you know the the philosophy of the country. So what you have to do is you have to create, um, you know, uh, an environment where there's beneficial predators or or, or whatever, and and we're still learning about all of that. And actually I was talking to, to um, some of the viticulturalists there. They actually have really, really skilled horticulturalists there who've been growing these amazing crops for years. They just have never grown Vinafra before. But I was talking mm. to them about beetles and they go like, yeah, what do you do about the beetles? And you can't kill them. And he goes, oh, we make a night trap. And they go, what's a night trap? And he goes, <laughs> ah, you put, you, put, you put like oil on the ground on like a piece of paper and then at night you shine a light on the piece of paper and the beetles like run there and they get trapped in the oil and then like you carry that piece of paper like over outside of the the you know orchard or whatever you're doing and you like push them off into the um so we you know we're we're definitely like trying to think through those type of situations and then there's 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 new there's new threats that that maybe other wine regions don't have to deal with, like monkeys. There's oh, a bunch yeah. of monkeys there. Yeah. You know, monkeys, not a big problem in Burgundy or Napa. Not a lot of literature on, on how to solve the monkey problem in the vineyard. No, so, you no. know, we're, <laughs> we're experimenting with, with, with stuff. Actually, I, was, I put this... Um, I reached out to my, my master of wine network around the world. And I was like, Hey, does anyone know anyone who's dealing with the monkey issue? And I was like, no. <laughs> One person got back to me from South Africa and they're like, yeah, yeah, we got a monkey problem. And I'm like, okay, how do you solve the monkey problem? And the, the lady's like, ah, we just shoot them with paintballs. And I go, uh, <laughs> you just yeah. shoot the monkeys with paintballs. <laughs> She's like, yeah, they, they never come back. And I'm like, I don't think like, I don't, I don't think that the Buddhist country, I, I don't think that is a great idea just to be shooting up the monkeys with paintballs. But you're so not we're, killing we're them. trying to come up with, you're not you're killing just, 
you're just marking them with different colored paint. That's all. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're I don't know we're we're thinking about like <laughs> you know Tibetan mastiffs patrolling the vineyards or you know noisemakers or I don't know we got to figure out the monkey issue. It hasn't really reared its head yet, but I I absolutely know it's only it, a matter of time as we scale that if a monkey happen. finds a vineyard and yeah, like grapes yeah. are delicious. You know they're just delicious. yes they are. So. And, and it's going to happen, you know. And the thing is, you say noise, but monkeys are smart enough. They'll listen to the noise for two or three days, and they'll say, that's not going to bother me, and they'll run in there and eat the grapes. Yeah, so one, I was, I, so the monkeys are a problem now, right, for, like, other crops like the mandarin oranges. And so I was talking to the farmers there. I'm like, what do you do about the monkeys? And the one, one of the guys I talked to goes, oh, you just put a bunch of snakes in the vineyard. And I go, <laughs> snakes? Like that, like, like, that is, I don't know. That solves that creates a different problem. He goes, no, 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 not real snakes. You put like rubber snakes all over the place, and then the monkeys are terrified of snakes. And I go, but you also have real snakes. And he goes, well, yeah, yeah, we have real snakes too. I go, well, then don't like people get like super accustomed to snakes being everywhere, and then they don't worry about it, and uh, you know, then their a cobra comes in, and then that's a problem. And he's like, yeah, well. You know, yeah, you could have that. <laughs> you go, get trade-offs. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I don't know the monkey problem solved yet, but like, I spent but, time thinking know, about it for sure. It's an ongoing thing. Well, I'll tell you what, what we're going to do is, you know, a year or so from now, we need to talk again, and I need to find out how that's going all that, uh, find out what's happening with, you know, the vineyards and the monkeys and all that. While, while we're on the subject of you starting a winery, you own – Another business already, the Southern Cal Rum Company? Yeah, the SoCal Rum Company. Yep, I do. And, and how'd that start? And what's, uh, uh, why? Well, so <laughs> <laughs> I, sometimes I ask myself that question too. But, but this comes back to the whole philosophy of, you know, you get to the juncture and you're like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm all in. Why not? Let's do it. See what happens. So. <laughs> We, I, this actually started in Bhutan, believe it or not. We were, I was in Bhutan with a, one of my closest friends and my son years ago. And um, both my friend and my son are big rum drinkers. I'm a wine drinker. Like, I kind of mm. care less about rum. But um, we were sitting there. And, you know, Bhutan is, you know, you're sitting in this beautiful environment. And you're looking out over the, you know, the woods and the mountains and everything. And, and we're we're sitting there and we're enjoying a beverage. And, my friend goes, let's start a distillery. And I go, Make it, making what? And he goes, making rum. And I go, I don't really like rum. And he goes, but I like rum. And my son's like, I love rum. We should do this. And so I said, well, you know, we, we need more. We need a business model if we're going to do something like this. You can't just talk about, well, let's have a distillery. So let's figure out what we want to do. And so we said, look there's a bunch of spice rum. There's a bunch of flavored rums. There's a bunch of tequilas. There's a bunch of vodkas, but there's really only one premium silver rum and that's Bacardi. Right. And so what if we tried to make a premium silver rum that, that just was, had a cleaner, fresher, you know, just higher quality taste. And so I said, okay, that's a cool business model. Let's see if we can do that. So then we screwed around with the recipe for like four years wow. and we created, created a rum. And it was pretty good. And we kind of liked it. And we were like sort of having it, giving it to our friends and saying, hey, like do this. And everyone's like, this is really good. You should do something with this. And we're like, well, I don't know. So we, we submitted it 
as a, as a sample to the largest spirits competition in the world. And we won a gold medal. And so oh! that, we're like, Oh, Oh my God. Like we actually might have something here that people care about. So I'm like, well, why don't we try to get it rated by one of the beverage rating institutes? And so we submitted it to the, to the bin network and they gave us a 95 point rating, which was the highest score for a silver rum ever in history of all silver rums. Oh like they basically gosh. said, this is the best silver rum that's ever existed. And we were like, Oh my, oh my God, this, <laughs> like, I guess, I guess we did something cool here. We should, yeah. we should sell this. And so we, um, you know, basically, built a company around it and started taking it out and selling it. And, and it's, it's been crazy. Like our, our rum's been on featured on the real housewives of Beverly Hills. And nope. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's been this, this crazy wild ride of, of all of a sudden you have the best silver rum in the world and people want it to make mojitos with and rum and Cokes. And, and I never set out, like, it was kind of like the Bhutan thing. I never set out to, to, you know, be in creating the, the Bhutan the rum I didn't set out to, to be in the rum business, but we were busy just having fun and trying to do cool stuff. And next thing you know, you know, you, you got this, uh, this great rum product and, and yeah, it's been, it's been just an awesome, awesome experience. That's all, that's all and you make for, there. It says silver rum. That's it. That's it. That's all we make. Is this, uh, it. We call it a platinum rum. But uh, yeah, and, and we, you know, we won because I, I, you know, me being a skeptic, I'm, I'm sort of like, but is it really that good? So like we submitted it to the largest consumer judged show in the world. We run, won a double goal. We submitted wow. it to, you know, the largest craft uh, spirits competition in the world. We won a goal. Like everything we submitted to, we win. And so I'm like, okay. Like, I, but it took like seven or eight times before I personally even internalized like, <laughs> Oh, we actually did this. We made a maybe good run. it is that good. <laughs> maybe it is that good. Like, well, because you know, you got to think about like other people that have been, you know, Bacardi's been making rum for 150 years. Like, how is it that we're better than they are? Just randomly, a couple of Joe Schmoes from Southern California screwing around with recipes. <laughs> that, you know, life is fun that way. That is. That really is. Wait, you say Southern – where do you live in Southern California? Uh, I live in a little town called Kaza. No, that, I've which, never heard of that. No. no, no one's ever heard of it. It's this little tiny town, but it's it's kind of like inland from Laguna Beach. It's about seven or eight miles inland from Laguna Beach, if you know where Laguna is. It's yeah, a little bit yeah. south of Newport Beach or right. San Clemente. It's kind of right in there. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Just a little little small burg in, inside of all those others and all that. And you are, I have to mention this too, a professor at the University of California at Irvine. I am, yeah. I teach in the business school there. Um, a business, you know. So you, that's it, uh, a business teacher, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not just a, a you know an alcohol tattooed guy. <laughs> Actually, no, my well, that's game job is I, I, <laughs> I, I work for a, a big. Uh, I'm a partner in a, a large global consulting firm, and so um, I've been teaching at the business school there for over 20 years, actually. Oh, um, geez. Yeah, so quite quite a while. Um, actually, it's, it's funny. Every year I say this is the last year I'm doing this. 
and then every year they kind of convince me to come back again and do it, do one more lap. And I just started my class this this week on Monday. Uh, my my oh. class started, and it's uh, just throw your hands up and accept the fact that you're going to be a, a professor there until you retire from that. So you know, don't fight. You know, it's it's here's here's what here's what sucks. I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I teach uh, the graduate students, and so you know, you're talking about ah, they're grad students. You know, they're they're sort of you know adult professionals, and now they're younger than my children. I've become I've become the old professor, the not old the professor. punk rock guy. Yeah. Not anymore. You're gonna start wearing long sleeves to work. Huh? Uh, yeah, start wearing yeah the, the jackets with the patches on the elbows. That's right. Yeah. Start smoking yeah. a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But no, it's 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 it's, uh, it's a it's a great school, and I'm I'm super uh, stoked to be able to to help contribute to to what's going on with it. But but yeah, literally, it's like every year. The kids just get younger and younger and younger, and I'm like, holy shit. Oh, I know. I know what you mean. I it just, yeah, I know. <laughs> we all get reminded of stuff like that every once in a while. I happen to be behind a, a school bus who's dropping off some high school kids, and you're going, wait a minute. You know, how <laughs> those kids look like they're 12 <laughs> years old. How can they be high school? You know? <laughs> well, and I, t- I here's here's what I think it is. You know, Women, God bless them, and they're better than us at literally everything, right? Everything. Like they yeah, mature and evolve, but like, yeah. but like men, like we, we cap out intellectually at about fourteen years old. <laughs> In my head, I'm I'm still like a fourteen year old kid. Oh yeah. And, you know, you, you're, you know, you it, know how and it, it doesn't change. Your guy. It does not change. You know. I, I'm like 20 years older than you, and still, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like a 15 year old now. So I guess I grew up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. After another 20 years, I'll make it to 15. You'll make it to 15 too. You know, so you know that's (laughs) that's what happens. But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. So Mike, Mike, you still there? Yes. Any any comments? Any questions? Wait, we got we got somebody else on the phone. No, well, Mike is my co-host. Mike, Mike is back in my co-host. He's he's one of those silent people that sets back, and while we're talking, he's texting and he's sending out tweets and he's you know making notes and he keeps himself busy in the background. And and he's the one that will take this show and put it in the archives so people can listen to it over and over and all sorts of stuff. He's he's the he's the man, really. He's he's the man. So. I always give him a Jeez, chance. Mike, to... I had I had no I had no idea, buddy. I completely apologize I, like for monopolizing the conversation and not letting you jump in. Well, he 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 brings towards the end, and because I'm I'm usually like you said taking notes and and updating. We run like a little video feed that kind of thing on on Facebook and Twitter or not Twitter, uh, Facebook and YouTube, and um, so I'm just to get get some of that updated and the video ready for the. Uh, outro the intro that kind of thing but uh yes i i do have a question actually i have a couple um and you answered one already about importing they do import and you said some bulk wine from 
India, they bottle it and all that. Why has it taken them this long to to get into the industry themselves? Was it just because your your spark said, "Hey, let's do this," or have others others failed as far as you know, and you just you just did it and did it right, or or what? What took them so long? Good question. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So I think you have to understand the political climate of Bhutan. Like Bhutan was like completely closed to the world into the seventies. And even then it, when it opened to, you know, foreigners entering the country, it was really strictly controlled um, until probably, you know, the last 15 or so years, they, they sort of made it more broadly accessible. So that's one issue. The second thing is that there, it was a monarchy. Um, so it's, it's a kingdom. It's, it's, there's a king and there's a queen. And up until about 15 years ago, it was 100% monarchy. And, and about 15 years ago, they were progressive enough, which is, I, I think, just genius on their part. They actually migrated to a, a parliamentary structure, very similar to England, where they, they created some democratization with a parliamentary body and a prime minister who would be kind of the head of government. And then the king would be the head of state, which, I mean, imagine if you're the king of everything to say, oh, hey, we should democratize some of it. I mean, uh, there's a lot of countries where they never would have done that, right? That's or a right. lot of leaders who never would have done wow. that. Yeah. So, so it's just been in the last you know, 15 years or so that they've, they've been able to em- embrace like some new models. All of that being said. Yeah. There is a gentleman by the name of John Goulet, and the Goulet family owns um, Taltarni Vineyards in Australia. They own Clodeval in California, and they own some wineries in France. And my understanding is that uh, Mr. Goulet is, was really close with the, the, the prior king. Um, of Bhutan. I think he's an, he's an older fellow. I think he's in his 70s or 80s now. And I know that he's the head. Of, I've never met him. Um, so this is why I'm, this is just what I've heard. And so I don't want anyone to sort of assume that I'm, I'm the factual historian here. But, <laughs> um, but Mr. Goulet is like the head of the Bhutan Foundation, which has been around since I think the 80s or the 90s. Um, and it's a nonprofit that's designed to really kind of help help uh, help Bhutan in, in a lot of ways because he's a wine guy he had the same epiphany that I did in the 90s and he tried to to set up some initial vineyards and I think they even sent uh, a Bhutanese person to one of his wineries in Australia to learn winemaking um, and they either talked about planting a vineyard or they actually planted a vineyard um, and the, it, it didn't, they didn't plan it in the right place or whatever. Um, but there was a lot of discussion in the nineties about, uh, this John Goulet working with Bhutan to start this and it just didn't happen. So oh. there's a piece of me that's like, Hey, look, here's a, a billionaire with, wineries on three different continents who tried to do this and didn't, wasn't able to do it. What in the world makes you think that, you know, 
the little punk rock kid from Southern California can do it. So there's, there's that piece of it. But then there's another piece of it that says part of, part of this is about timing. And, you know, the Bhutan today with the parliamentary system and the more exposure to um, the, the, the global economy um, is in a different place than it was in the 90s. And they're, they're ready to hear it now. Um, they're ready to, to talk about this today. And, uh, and I do think, you know, there's, there's some things that the government wants to, to do, you know, around like, you know, they want to share brand Bhutan with the world, but in, in a non sort of commercial way. Um, so you think about like, remember, remember when we were kids and like you would get the little plastic toys and they all were like stamps made in Taiwan. And so, you know, like <laughs> the brand in our, in our head was like, ah, Taiwan makes, like, cheap plastic stuff. Whether or not they did or they didn't, like, that was what our perception of it was. Um, and so, yeah. so I think there's, there's this desire to share the beauty and majesty of Bhutan, but through products that express that. You know, they could, they could have a cheap plastic toy factory there if they wanted to, but that's not really what they want to do. Um, and, and the tourism side of it is, is a different game today than it was in, in the 90s. And, and more and more people are like, oh, this is my bucket list destination. I really want to go there. And there's new vehicles and avenues for them to do that. And, and obviously, wine tourism is, is massive, as you guys know. So I, I think, um, back, back to your point, Mike, yes, this guy who's better at wine than I am <laughs> tried to do this, you know, uh, 30 years ago and wasn't able to get it off the ground. Um, and, and I've made more progress, um, you know, today than, than he was able to make back then. And I, and I think it's a combination of a, of a number of factors and, and it, it's entirely possible. Like I might not be the, the, the right guy, you know, I'm not Mr. Right, but I'm Mr. Right now. <laughs> you know, I might, uh. I might've just been asking the right questions in the right place at the right time. To, to be able to, to do this, this cool thing. Um, or, or, or I may be a geek. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Either way. But, but uh, yeah, I wasn't the first guy to think of this, is, is the bottom line. Okay. Uh, and you've kind of touched on this already, but it sounds like the country, um, as far as we know, is going to allow exporting the wine when you do produce it. It's, it is going to be a global thing, product. Yeah, actually, um, it's it's – the right now, um, our entire business model is based around a hundred percent exports. Oh, um, wow. so yeah, like our, our, our entire plan is 100%. Well, probably not a hundred percent, but the vast majority of production is going to be for the export market. And, and actually we should lean in on this because this is kind of interesting. We have a bifurcated business model. So, on the one hand, we have this beautiful terroir that, in my opinion, is going to produce some wines that rival, you know, other great wine-producing regions, um, just with the, the depth and complexity of what we can produce. And we plan to do that and export those to New York and London and Japan. Matter of fact, I've already been in numerous conversations with big distributors around the globe, including somebody who wanted um, – a very large company who wanted 
an exclusive for the entire country of Japan. And this is like two years ago. I'm like, I don't even have, I don't even have wine yet. Like I'm not going to sign an exclusive <laughs> agreement. <laughs> and, and sorry, country. Um, but so, so, so that we're, we're planning to do that. But then the second part of our business model, and this is where stuff gets really interesting is India has a billion people, more than a billion people. And Indus, India has a burgeoning, middle class and that middle class is getting very interested in wine mm. and india as a country has placed some really significant taxes and tariffs on imported wine so oh. you might pay up to 200 uh, 200% tax and tariff on wine that's going into india so the the biggest one of the biggest selling wines in india right now is matus rosé do you guys know matus like oh, yeah. back in the day yeah. Yeah. Right. So Matus is a $5 bottle of wine. Um, and it, you know, for what it is, it's, it's a, it's a nice for five it's okay. bucks. It's, yeah. it's a great yeah, for five bucks. It's yeah. okay. It's, you know, it's okay. So Matus in India sells for 29 bucks <laughs> because of the taxes and the tariffs. And it's one of the highest selling wines in, in, uh, in India. And so, Bhutan is the only country in the world that has a free trade agreement for alcohol with India. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're going to plant a bunch of Cabernet that we're going to try to make, you know, a $250 bottle of wine that we're going to sell at, you know, 11 Madison Park in New York. And then I'm also going to plant some high-cropping hybrids. <laughs> You know, yeah. that we're going to crop at 15 tons an acre and I'm going to sell $15 whites and rosés to India at huge margins because I have a massive cost competitive advantage against any other wine company in the world. Oh, yeah, because of the uh, tariffs. No tariffs, yeah. Wow. Because no tariffs, exactly. And so so that's kind of our, our, our business model. So back to, my, back to your question about exports, yeah, we're going to have um, you know, some percentage of our acreage designated to high cropping uh, varietals that we can ship to India and another percentage designated to really high complexity terroir based wines that go to, you know, Japan and, and London and, and the U S um, both of those are, are, are probably going to be, you know, well, we'll probably sell some wine through like the local high end hotels and stuff, but, you know, the average, the average salary in Bhutan, I think the average, don't quote me on this, but I think the average salary is about 2000 bucks a year. So that's, you know, whatever that is, a couple hundred bucks a month, 185 bucks a month or something. Right. So like the, the average Joe in Bhutan is, is not coughing up even $20 for a bottle of wine, no. um, which is fine. And, and, and I think what, what we want to do is, is, if this works, you know, that raises actually the average salary of everybody there. Mm, um, yeah. Not, not, not that they're, you know, they, they have this concept called gross domestic happiness where they measure the happiness of their people rather than the gross domestic product. But mm. within that, you know, if there's a, an opportunity to give families the way to earn a little bit more money, you know, they plant the hills between the, the, the rice crops and they have a, a, a bit more money. Um, you know, a rising tide that's all boats. But 
there, the country is less motivated by economic success than they are by happiness success, which I think is a fucking awesome way of living. It, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to live. Yeah. yeah. And, and they measure it. They, they actually, like, you know how we go around and we measure our GDP every year? They actually measure their happiness every year. And they want to know, <laughs> are they trending up or are they trending down? It's really cool. Yeah. It is. That was interesting. Wow. Different. Um, that was a, that was a, make, a but... longer, a longer answer than you expected, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, sorry about that. That was, that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, so they measure. Uh, they don't. They don't measure your worth. But uh, you know, if you're satisfied with where you're at and you're comfortable and uh, that you're, yeah, you're content with yourself. So. Uh, well, and, and imagine, um, just ima- imagine that, like, like if you were judged not by how much money you had, but by how happy you were. Yeah. Like, if that's what your measurement for your your metric for success was, I mean, that should be our the metric for all of our success everywhere. And somehow think, we yeah. lost sight of that here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Which you, you know, that would create a whole whole different outlook on everything. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. cool. Anything else, Mike? Right. Nope, that's it for me. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, thank you for the answers and uh, mm-hmm. for all the uh, the insight and everything and your experience and um, very enjoyable. Really, really appreciate this. Well, thank thanks, thanks again, guys, for having me on. This has been super super great. And if oh, if you know, if people want to, to to jump on my my email distribution list that we talked about, they can just go to drinkingandknowingthings.com and put their email address in, and, and I'm happy to share my my musings on wine with folks. Uh, I will. People want to know what's going on with, with, with food. All about wine. Uh, oh yeah, ab- absolutely. And if people want to to uh, to see what's going on with with uh, Bhutan, you know, BhutanWine.com is our website, or you can follow us on Instagram at BhutanWine and see pictures of the vineyards and you know we're, we're trying to share what we're doing with with everybody and that's yeah. b-h-u-t-a-n for all of you out there who are spelling challenge bhutan uh yeah, yeah. so and it's not T- it's not in indonesia <laughs> it's, in it's not it's not an island yeah that bhutan wine uh-huh. in the s no just bhutanwine.com no no s wine no S. Okay, because it's, uh, you know, be sure. So, BhutanWine.com, you can, you know, check that out. Also, his uh, Drinking and Knowing Things book is out, and his musings from a year of his newsletter. You can get a hold of that. And uh, within a couple years, punch in American Masters of Wine, and you'll see him there. <laughs> <laughs> God, God willing, God willing. <laughs> and so, but uh, yeah, there's, there's. You could just, you know, if if you want to find out more, he's done some interviews. He's been on, you know, he's got different, uh, uh, you know, magazines and stuff of interviews and all that. So all you need to do just to, uh, you know, make it make it easier on yourself. Well, you go by Michael on all those interviews or. I think, you know, but, you know, to be honest, a lot of my friends call me MJ. So, I, you know, I kind of don't really worry about Mike or Michael. I kind of just go with whatever people are saying. But, yeah, if you Google Mike or Michael, yeah, you'll, you'll 
or just Google Bhutan wine. <laughs> all, all no. kinds of okay. Yeah, that yeah, you can do it that way. Uh, yeah, I noticed when I was talking to Alex, she she wrote MJ a few times. And I go, oh, is this somebody new? You know, I can you know <laughs> realize those were your initials. <laughs> you know. So, Michael Georgian and uh, Bhutan wine. You can find out all about him and all that and. Uh, I'll ask you now, but uh, say a year from now, I'd like to get you back on the show and see what's happening and see where you're at and what's going on then and and uh, with uh, well, with your Master of Wine tests and with Bhutan Wines and all that stuff. So I know I can go on the website, but it's, it's more fun to talk with you. Uh, hey, I would love to come back. And uh, this has just been, this has been a blast. You know, I do a lot of these kinds of things, and this has been just truly a delight and a good time. So I would, I would come back in a heartbeat if you'd have well, me. Good. So. Well, I would. Uh, I'll, yeah. approach it. I'll make, I'll make a, a note, and uh, about a year from now, I'll uh, get get in touch with you, and we'll do it again. That sounds Absolutely. awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks again for the opportunity right, to chat with you guys. Thank you. Really, Have really enjoyed it. Great night. Cheers, guys. Bye now. All right. We are almost over. I forgot. Yeah, it's uh, one minute. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Thank you all very much. We'll be back next week. And uh, I don't know. How long is the intro? 30 seconds? We got 60 seconds. seconds. Okay. Um, We'll be back uh, in October. The seventh will be the next show. Uh, and I believe we show. have a guest then too. We have a, a director of a movie called The Wonderful Kingdom, who's going to be a guest. Uh, uh, so, uh, okay, that's coming up next week. Uh, yep, I'll get in. the Thanks information. And yeah, be yeah. safe. We'll see you yep. all then. Thank you. Be safe. Thanks for listening. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly. And we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Oh, sorry. In the-